When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana and you're listening to the Mall Over Cotpost. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Mall Over Podcast, the only podcast with news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action or with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Moreover Podcast. We are Moreover Rugby Podcast on Facebook. And you can find all of our podcasts on Anchor and Apple Podcasts and lots of other podcatchers. Um, slightly strange lineup this evening. Uh, we may hear from Phil, who hopefully is composing some kind of uh, shed style monologue because he can't make this evening. So uh, we've given him a tutorial on how to record it himself and fire over. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, but in the meantime, to avoid another week without a podcast, because we're pretty good at that, um, me and the Lensman thought we'd get together and chat about some stuff that isn't necessarily Premiership rugby. Um, so we're going to take a little bit of a turn tonight. We're going to start off with a bit of a chat around the women's final that Doug had the pleasure of attending. And then we're going to do something uh, ever so slightly different, especially now the top four have been decided and uh, the whole premiership is become a bit of a farce. So um, without further ado, let's talk about the women's final, Doug, from yesterday. Yeah. You were there at, uh, where was it? Was, was it? The Stoops? Gloucester. No, King's Home. Yeah. And how was it? How was the atmosphere? First of all, obviously fans in the stadium, and you know it was uh, yeah a lot of a lot of females in the crowd, so the atmosphere was slightly higher pitched. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and the game itself, um, I, I got to say, there were parts of it I didn't watch much of the first half. I sort of came in with with sort of five minutes to go, and I know the result as a whole was a huge upset. Uh, in regards to everybody thinking that Saracens were, were going to pretty much walk all over for Harlequins, um, but as far as a as far as a contest goes, it was extremely competitive. Yeah, so I've been doing 
working on women's rugby. I've been doing women's rugby. Been working on women's rugby for quite a long time since the Maggie Alfonsi days at you know when they used to play before the Autumn Internationals and whatnot. And um, the club game was always a marked step down, but this game was probably more intense than any women's game I've ever seen in terms of physicality and aggression around the breakdown and and all that kind of stuff. It was um, it was chalk and cheese to what. I, I genuinely thought it had a a bit of edge to it and um, was actually a, a a a good a a good advert for the women's game. I'm not sure that every women's game would have the same level of physicality and and competitiveness, but this game definitely had it in spades. I thought. But they are. Probably. Well, they're the, they're the best two teams in the country, aren't they? That has been proven by the fact that they both reached the final. Um, I'm not sure how much... I mean, Saracens beat people out of sight on a regular basis. Are, are Quinns and Saracens that much better than all the other teams in the, in the Premier 15s league? I know well, that... I can tell you for now... Like during the warm-ups, when when we used to do women's games, we'd go to Richmond or um, Hartbury women or Loughborough or anything like that. You'd know a couple of players. Yeah, I would say I knew seventy-five percent of the players on on both sides. It was really recognisable names, big names in the women's game that you've you've seen and are around, and very very good players. You know, um, we're talking. Players like Hannah Bottomman, Marley Packer, you know, Jess Breach wasn't playing, but she was there. There were a lot of the the two Cleo girls, yeah. for Saris, um, Vic, Vicky Fleetwood, obviously. Vicky Fleetwood. Then you've got um, the scrum half, Leanne Riley. Like yeah. it was basically the England the England side spread over two teams, um, and the impact players were clearly you know on display and, and and were look if if all women's rugby was like this i would watch it but the problem is it's not yeah and the problem is there are a lot of teams making up numbers and a lot of teams that <sighs> without wanting to denigrate it that they when you get the the Marley Packers and and those kind of players, they stick out so much that it's almost like if you were a level seven player that had been roped into playing level three, like if your twos ask you to play, or, yeah. or if you're a twos player and you step up to the ones and they're playing, all of a sudden you're playing level three rugby, you're going to stick out, you're going to get smashed and you're going to, you know, come off second best. And it, that's the disparity in women's rugby at the moment. It seems like there's a real big gap between the the real good players and the not so good players. Yeah, and I think that that must be that must be down to how much the clubs uh, are putting into it individually, how much they decide that, that they're going to fund these players and and how much they're going to going to support them. I mean, looking at the Premier 15s table, Saracens won the league by six points from Quinns who were two points ahead of Wasps. And I know just through like um, through Instagram and, and seeing like, there's a lot of a few of the England sevens 
Ladies play for Wasps as Celia Quanza. Um, uh, Ellie Kildun plays for Wasps as well, doesn't she? Uh, Amy Wilson Hardy. So they're kind of uh, the other winger as well, the England winger. Yeah, um, the fly half Megan Jones. She's the fly uh, the half blonde, as well. The curly haired blonde girl that plays uh, wing. Um, Abby Dow. Abby Dow. Yeah. So so you can you can already sort of see, judging by the the players that were were in Saracens and Quinn squad. Add to those the, the Wasps ladies as well. Those three teams are probably fairly far ahead of, of the rest. Um, and then you've got the likes of Loughborough, Gloucester, Hartbury, Exeter. Um, I mean, Darlington, poor Darlington, Meadow, uh, Modern Park played 18 games, won one, lost 17 last season. So that's that's where you're Worcester. Yeah. Well, that's where that's where your, your levels come in, isn't it? And we see next season, like Bath are trying to introduce a, a ladies' side. You know, it won't be long before the Premier uh, the Premier Fifteens probably entirely mirrors the Premiership. Well, Saints ain't have a team. I can tell you that much for nothing. Oh, really? Uh, the Saints have been very open about the fact that they're not interested in having a women's team. They're a they're a, they're a men's rugby club. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe uh, they... But yeah, I mean, back to the game. Yes. We're, we're sort of getting off topic. Sure. I think the thing that really... I really enjoyed about the game was the, the, the sort of physicality in and around the breakdown. It's not really something you can often see in a women's game. A lot of the women's game is about long-range tries, very fast players... You know, um, I thought some of the stuff around the breakdown was as physical as I've seen in a women's match ever. Yeah, and you know, I've done World Cup finals on, with, with the women. It was it was on another level, and um, if the game progresses on on a sort of linear track yeah. from where I've seen it you sort of five, six years ago to where it is now, then they're going to have a marketable product in, in years to come. And that's the first time I've really admitted that I've, I've often thought that women's rugby would, would never be a product I'd want to watch. But if, if that level of physicality can continue on, on a linear track, then I think the game's in, in, in a good, good place. Really. The problem I think you may have is that Saracens wasps, uh, Bristol now these teams are going to suck up all those players and that you know the league is essentially going to be five or six games a year where these teams play each other um, that obviously won't last forever and other teams will come through but um, going on the evidence of this game I think the women's game is probably in a good place and the, and the crowd was probably reflect, reflected that as well I mean yeah. it's certainly interesting it what do you think then? Like, here's something that just popped into my head. It's around if there's a Premier 15s, the Premier 15s league, and I looked at the table, there's currently 10 teams in that league. Now, you say that there's probably there's the three that we've mentioned Bristol are up and coming, Exeter are, uh, are up and coming, um, and then one other, say. What about like a you know, like when they do a um, in the Scottish Premiership for the for the football, where they have a league season where they play each other twice, like, and then they find a way to 
or they play each other once or however it is, and they find a way to then split those leagues off to then create a mini league. So then you have the best gimmicky though, isn't it? I think I don't think I'm just, all I'm trying to think of is, is a way to, to have those games with that intensity and that marketable product more often while still making them relevant. I I just think it's just a, a product of a league that's in a place where it needs to improve. I think um, a lot of the teams that are up and coming could probably point to the fact that they've got strong academies or whatever, and they'll say, oh, it won't be like this forever. But um, it's just something they'll have to deal with. And, and I think the more gimmicks you introduce to kind of artificially make the league better. Yeah. Is probably to the detriment of the the entire league, and what they're probably better off doing is saying, "Well, we've got a Premier Fifteens. Why don't we make it a Premier? You know, five teams for a couple of years until these teams can actually compete." You know, I don't, yeah. I don't think there's um. Well, you just have two two divisions, then, didn't you? If you've got ten, if you've got ten teams, you have a Premier Fifteen, and you have a you know a, a, a second division as such, and then you know those teams have got something to aspire to. You have potential for a promotion and relegation. And then, you know, that you get people to, to improve or teams to improve that way. I suppose the only other issue that you've got then is that the clubs don't get that single home game against one of the big teams where they might be able to draw in a bit of a big crowd and, and yeah. have their sort of bumper cash day. Um, but you, you rightly, you rightly say like as a, as a product and as, as a rugby match, you know there were there were elements that that were very very good. Let's say the physicality was good. I thought um, <clears throat> without sort of turning, without going down the referee route. I thought at times Sarah Cox made some absolutely baffling decisions. Especially, See, I, I, I can't. I, I've got to disagree with you there. I thought she refereed the game really well. Saracens were as any Saracens team are play, played really close to the edge. And I think a lot of times they overstepped. I think what she was very good at was making a decision and that decision then translating throughout the game as in, in the form of consistency. It was pretty much, if you do that, I will penalise you. Yeah. Um, and look, Mar- Marley Packer gave away probably oh. half a dozen penalties. And Easily. every one of them was a penalty. Yeah, but I, there were yeah okay that's fair enough. And there was there was, I mean there was one that sticks out in my mind, which was in the second half, which led to the Quinn's um, Tuima, who I thought was excellent on the day as well, who kicked all their goals. Whose brother um, plays for Exeter? Plays right? for Exeter, yeah, Reese Tuima, yeah. Um, he. Uh, sh- the the winger made the, somebody made a tackle and then the winger came in to steal the ball and then she gave a penalty as the winger the the winger that came in was part of the tackle which I don't think she was at all which but, then led I mean, look decisions get made like that all the time that are subjective if the referee sees it like that you can't blame the referee for making a no. bad decision. That's the referee's interpretation of a very bang. In the NFL, they call it a bang-bang play, don't they? Where yeah. two things happen really, really quickly. And with the benefit of replay, you can say, well, that's a, an objectively bad decision. Yeah. But in the heat of the battle, 
the rest she made sees that happen instantaneously and it happens and then if it does happen instantaneously or, or simultaneously then that's a penalty you can't no okay I, I think the over analyzation of those decisions isn't helpful. I thought she was a very clear and concise referee. She she gave she left the players. I think she did really well to put up with the amount of like there was lots of chat off, from, from oh, all so of the much. Saracens players, weren't there? A so lot, much. A lot of she them. did really well to handle that and diffuse it. So I don't think you can I think a lot of referees yeah. Would probably not have clamped down on that as much. You can look, <clears throat> you can look at Maxwell Keys or, or um, Ian Tempest would probably let that shit go on all game. Yeah, you know, which is, but she was just like, no, we, I'm not having any of this. I thought she was, I thought she was more than more than good. I th- there, there was a lot of that um, wasps Saints on Saturday, and uh, Matt Leal, I think it was Matt Leal. He, I, I know I said I wasn't going to talk about Premiership, but he he had a a really good start to the game where he was quite explanatory and he let the, the players have a bit of say. And then they just kept on. And then he got to the point where he went up. He's literally like flicked the switch. He stopped being Mr. Nice Guy and said, listen, I'm telling you now, I've been, I've tried to, to be amenable, but you're carrying on. And that's yeah. where, that's where that switch. And, and it, was, it was an impressive performance with him, honestly. Um, I'll tell you what was impressive from Harlequins was that period of time when they went down to 13 and yeah. they could have quite easily capitulated at that, at that, at that point. I mean, they conceded the try. sarri has got back to within one score and it was like, you know, it was the Alamo, wasn't it? And they managed that situation so well. Yeah. Look, I think that's where potentially the women's game sort of lets itself down. I don't think Zoe Harrison was particularly good. Uh, I've seen her a few times and I'm not sure she's, I'm not sure she's a great, you know, who was, uh, it was, um, who was the England fly half that retired? Um, Katie something, wasn't it? Oh, well oh, name. Yeah. Anyway, she, she could manage a game. And I think that yeah. the game management at 10 probably wasn't good enough to move. And now I don't know whether that's because the ball handling is, wasn't good enough to move teams from side to side. Like you'd see in the men's game, Third down to 13 men, you're moving the ball, you're going hands across the back line, stretching the defensive line, shifting it back. You know, I'm not sure. And Saracens um, at times did did have like phases of 12, 13 phase possessions, but I'm not sure the ball's quick enough and I'm not sure the passing is precise enough and I'm not sure the kicking's good enough where a 13 on 15 advantage is really as big yeah you know yeah i don't i don't think there's the necessity to drop three players back to protect kick for territory in those situations because the kicking isn't accurate enough um yeah agree and there was it was like <clears throat> they would they moved the ball during that period of time saracens moved the ball but it was very lateral so yeah. it was easy it was easy to for, for quins to drift defend there, yeah. there wasn't there wasn't maybe enough straightening of the line or somebody offering back the other way or two, or two into a gap that, there was no yeah. there's no sort of crash ball is there sort of no why I, I didn't see a lot of when you've got someone with the aggression and the power of Fleetwood and Packer and Cleo yeah they should be coming off their long run taking crash ball like yeah. it would seem 
as Saracens men do, where you hit up Vinny Villipoda when they were last in the Premiership, quick ball, hit up uh, Nick um, Skelton, quick ball, hit up Marrow. Nick, Nick Skelton, know. isn't he the show jumper? Nick Skelton, yeah, you know who I mean. <laughs> Matt Skelton. <laughs> Not even Matt Skelton, is it? No, Matt Skel- Nick Skelton's the, the, cricket, uh, the rugby player. Matt... No, Matt Skelton's the rugby player, Nick Skelton's the show jumper. No, nah, it's the other way around, mate. No, nah, mate. I'm go- I'm gonna Google it, but <laughs> Matt Matt Skelton played for um Matt's Matt Skelton's a professional boxer. Nick Skelton is the is the rugby player. Nick Skelton. He's an equestrian. Nick Skelton is a former equestrian, right? Matt Skelton is a um Rugby player, and he's a former British professional boxer. Definitely, right. I'm not having 100%. it. I'm not having it. Have it. You can have a Will Skelton, Matt Skelton, Will, Will Skelton. Sk- <laughs> <laughs> what a podcast! What a podcast. <laughs> so we, so we basically, I corrected you with the name of a, a really bad British heavyweight boxer, and it was Will all along. Useless pair of dickheads. Um, yeah, but so for me. Saracens win this game if they just smash Packer, Fleetwood, Cleal over and over again and then spin it wide. Hannah Skelton, um, uh, sorry, Fleetwood, Packer, Bottoman, Cleal over and over and over and over and over again, spin it wide. They win every game. I don't see any women's team that stops that. And I think they were maybe guilty of trying to be a little bit too cute when they were up. You know, I mean, they scored tries. They, you know, they got they got back in the game, but their game plan seemed to. I don't know. I I don't know why you wouldn't just run Marley Packer off a, a fifteen yard run up into yeah. the ten channel every single possession. It, I don't know whether you probably didn't. You probably didn't watch it, right? Um, I make it akin to the Champions League final on Saturday night, no. where. So Man City were the t- obviously the team that were expected to win. Chelsea sat in, frustrated them, made them look, made them bought sort of bought them down to earth, made them look human, made them look normal. And then when their chance came, they took it. And all through the match, the inevitability of Chelsea winning that match just became more and more and more and more. <laughs> and that's how the second half felt for Saracens against Quinns. Yeah, you know, everybody expected Saracens to go there and win. You know, everybody knew that Quinns could win and had a chance to win, but the inevitability was Saracens were going to win. Yeah. And like the more the game went on, the more the harder Saracens tried, but the more disciplined um, in their structure in but, their game it's, plan. It's Saint syndrome, isn't it? Yeah. Saints know that they can score from anywhere, and the longer they don't score from anywhere, the more they try to score from anywhere, and the more yeah. they fuck up. And I think that's what happened with with Saris, really. Yeah, just and forcing you... it and forcing it and forcing it. Yeah, and they tried to get that. As I say, with they went down to thirteen players, and instead of just rumbling it up the field, keeping it tight, keeping the ball in hand, they they made a lot of errors, and they tried to ship it wide so quickly without mm. any of those dummy runners that it got to the winger and by the time it got by the time it got out there like Quinns had just drift defended and even if like even if she did step inside there was somebody there to meet her and then yeah, they were and turning Quinn, the ball Quinns had an advantage in the fact that they were faster in the outside channels as well yeah 
They were turning so, the ball over relentlessly. Yeah. And they yeah. were so good at the breakdown. So, yeah, that, I mean, an amazing performance, an amazing result. And, you know, maybe we, we should look a little bit closer at the at the women's game next year and see and see what what changes are made, what how the teams progress, and you know, maybe try and make a bit of a point in in getting throwing not not that they need our support, but throwing a bit of support their way to to help people well, see look, it a I'm, bit more. You know, if I'm available and I can, I will watch certainly watch the return matches of this next year because I thought I genuinely thought it was an entertaining rugby match I yeah. you know I know there was a bit of chelp going around on our whatsapp group or our, our facebook group even a twitter group about it not being very good I couldn't have disagreed more I thought it was a fantastic um advert for women's rugby and um while it would never replace a saints against Leicester match it was certainly enough to keep me entertained on the Sunday when there was you know, nothing else on. Yeah. When I was forced to watch it. And it was for me, like my last point on this, it was, a, it was a massive step up from any other women's club game that I've seen before. Yeah. I, I, think, I, that's the biggest I don't think there'd be many women's international matches that would be played with that level of intensity. The teams obviously don't like each other, which yeah. helps really, really helps. Um, I can't say, you know, I can't see, Aside from England, New Zealand, I can't see many women's international matches matching that. Good. Well, it's promising, isn't it? It's promising for the future. And if nothing else, you know, there are there are two teams out there that when they get together are going to have a right tear up. Happy days. I, I, at one point, I did think there was going to be some fisticuffs, but um, it wasn't to be. I mean, there's that, some... That would there's... get me involved. If, if they started having tear ups, that would be... Yeah. I mean, I saw on Twitter there was there was somebody put on Twitter that uh, you know the, some of the kids of these lady rugby players are not going to get bullied at school, are they? <laughs> Marley 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 Packer's lad is not going to get any grief. No, at his school. No, I bet she always gets a parking space. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Right. Well, that that was good. You know, um, finish off with a bit of misogyny there. Absolutely, yeah. Just to just to remain balanced. Um, right. So I said we were going to do something a little bit different. Um, we're not going to talk about the Premiership as as a whole. Uh, what we're going to do, and an idea that is shamelessly stolen from another podcast from another sport, um, is sort of like a ranking of certain positions uh, for every team in the league. So in this podcast, oh, did you say it was around the NFL? Around the NFL, yeah. And they call it the Andy Dalton line. So of the 32 teams in the uh, in the NFL, Andy Dalton was always used as a level of mediocrity, a Do middle you want ground. Me to explain it? Yes, why not? So basically six, 32 teams in the NFL, basically if your quarterback was worse than Andy Dalton, you needed a new quarterback. If your quarterback was better than Andy Dalton, you were fine. He was basically the 16th best quarterback in the league. So we're deciding to do this with the tens in the Premiership. Basically, if you have one ten above um, the the meridian of uh, the Premiership, so what, for this example, we've used the twelve Premiership teams and Saracens, and we've taken their starting and backup tens. So there's twenty six tens <clears throat> to choose from. If your starting ten is above the top thirteen, you're good, you're set. If um, if they're below 
then you're probably in a bit of trouble. And if you haven't got anyone above the 13th, then you definitely need a 10. Um, <clears throat> obviously, it doesn't work quite as well as with the NFL because the NFL obviously has 32 starting quarterbacks. In the, in the premiership with the 10s, you've got international requirements to take into effect, and that may somewhat influence our decision. But I just thought it'd be quite fun when, you know, a lot of the premiership, there were some big games, but, you know, Russ and I could watch the highlights and pretend we watched all six games this weekend, but what would be the point? I I only saw one rugby match this weekend in the premiership. It was Worcester. Who cares? Um, you know, and then Russ would be talking to himself. So we thought we'd do something a bit different. Love it. Right. So let's, uh, where do you want to start? Are we going to start where we think number 13 is and then go from there? Or are we going to start where we think number one is? and then Well, let's go. start at the top. Let's go, let's rank the top five. Okay. Because I think my, well, certainly my top four are um, going to be different to yours. A hundred percent. Or maybe not. So my top five, <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of one or two, isn't it? One of, one of two. A hundred percent it could be either way. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. Let me tell you who my top five are, right? And that is uh, Marcus Smith at number one, Joe Simmons at number two, uh, Dan, uh, sorry, number three was AJ McGinty. Number four is um, Paddy Jackson. And number five is Dan Bigger. That's quite incredible. No way have you got all five of them. I've got all five of them just in slightly different order. And bear in mind, as Doug explained before this, the, we've kind of tried to take into account importance to premiership. So if you've got a lot of international tens, let's take uh, Owen Farrell, for instance. He is going to spend a lot of his time out of that premiership team. So, you know, that's where you, you need your backup. And in this case, we've got Manu Vudapola as backup for Saracens. You know, that's where you would need him closer to the top 10 so that when he spends that much time out of the out of the team, you know, you're, you're better set. So hopefully that makes sense. And that's why I've gone for that five, because I know McGinty, uh, Jackson, Simmons and Smith, at least, are all probably 90% going to play, every, uh, well, going to play 90% of their premiership games. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then well, I've gone for Dan Bigger. Foreseeable future anyway. Yeah. And Dan Bigger is the best of the rest for me. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I've gone for Jackson first, just because his importance to that team is so so big. Um, Joe Simmons, obviously, number two. Uh, McGinty, three. Smith, four. And bigger five. I put Smith, four. Smith would be my number one, but I think he's going to be involved with England going forward. So I've sort of marked him down a bit. Because I think even if he doesn't, play now and this is the one thing that i think with eddie jones maybe this is maybe this is something to do with why smith's not being picked at the moment is there an element of eddie jones thinks that mark smith would be better served playing a lot of premiership rugby at the moment than just being in a six Nations squad that is probably not going to start or be on the bench in yeah i mean that does a it's a good point it would serve him better to play those games and, you know, it's, he's definitely developed in the last year. Would he have developed at the same rate had he have been like Jacob Manger? He just sat in a training camp for six months. Yeah. Well, and that, and 
you mentioned your uh, Jackson, Paddy Jackson's importance to to London Irish. I would argue that Marcus Smith is more important to Quinns than Paddy Jackson is. To well, yeah, because, because I've got um, I've got Brett Heron as the twenty third ranked. Yeah, um, I've got half in my... I've got I've got him at twenty four out of twenty six. Have you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, should we do the next five down to okay. ten? Let's go for let's go uh yeah, let's go six to ten then. You you go first. So Callum Sheedy at six, just because I think he's gonna be involved with Wales, but so he's bigger, but I think bigger's better than Sheedy. So um then I've got Jacob Umanga. Now I had a, I had a bit of a hard time with that, but once you get past Jacob Umanga, you're getting into players that are either gonna be away with England or aren't very good. So I think he's better than Grayson. I think he's better than Vunipola, and I think he's better than Johan Lloyd. Yeah. yeah at the moment. Um, although Lloyd didn't play 10, did he? He played on the wing at the weekend. Anyway, he came on for... Um, he was the utility back replacement, and Morahan went off after two minutes. So Right, so that, that could be... That could, I mean, maybe I could push Lloyd up, but I've got Umanga at seven, um, Danny Cipriani at eight, because I think next season he's not going to be in England reckoning and he'll be Bath starter with Priestland gone. Um, and then I've got the England fly halves, Farrell and Ford, just, you know, they are better players and they they make more of an impact for their clubs when they're not with England than the people below them. Basically, once you get below them, you're getting into replacement territory. Um, yeah, so six to ten: Sheedy, Umanus, Cipriani, Farrell, Ford. Okay, well, we've got one one disagreement in there. I haven't got Cipriani in that top ten. Um, okay, for me, well, I've got. I mean, that's understandable though, because he's so hot and cold. He could yeah. just be a fucking disaster, right? And and you know, when you look at Bath, to me. Bath are a, a bit of a dumpster fire at the moment anyway that needs something other than someone like Danny Cipriani at 10 because they've got so much talent but maybe he maybe he can use those up but anyway so I've got George Ford at 6 uh, Owen Farrell at 7 then I've got Sheedy at 8 Umaga at 9 uh, but then I've got uh, Rob Dupria at 10 <laughs> I've got him and this is because I've watched him a lot done quite a bit of sale this year and last year as the worst 10 in the premiership have you yep even below the likes well there there are several backups and i could well, he is I, the worst 10 in the premiership beyond any shadow of a doubt he's dreadful he's there basically because the other Dupree boys said look if you want us you've got to employ our brother it's essentially a um, Ali Dyer <laughs> situation. If you want me, you'll take my brother. Do you know who Ali Dyer is? Yeah, he was the lad soonest signed for um, yeah. Southampton, wasn't he? Yeah, so George, George Weir has gone to Steve Diamond. I, I tell you what, bro, my brother's a really good tin like that. And <laughs> Diamond's gone, sign him. And then he's played him and he's been like wanting to give him the hook after two minutes, but can't. Yeah. Because he lose Jean-Luc and the other big... Yeah, they just geezer. tune him up. 
Fair enough. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take that one on the chin. I thought he was decent when I've watched him, Shins. but then then there you go. All right. Well, I mean, we can we can get rid of him and put Cipriano in that top ten, and I wouldn't have too much too much issue. Um, for me, from eleven through to forty. Oh, well, should we go for the 15, Marin? Let's go for for the line. Who's your thirteen and fourteen? My 13 is James Grayson. Uh, sorry, uh, my, yeah, my 13 is James Grayson. And my 14 is uh, Brett Connan. Yeah, Brett Connan's a funny one. I like Brett Connan. I've got him ranked a bit lower just because, I don't know, the, the, the lads I've got, the three lads I've got above him are all sort of young, up-and-coming tens with, you know, yeah. bright futures. So I've got Connan at 18. But above him, I've got Atkinson, Skinner, and Barton. Yeah, I, I've I've put Skinner a lot lower because he hasn't played a lot. I mean, that game, the, the game that I watched him against Gloucester, where they basically played a third string side against a very, you know, almost a first team Gloucester, was it was a really accomplished performance, and he was. Very, I, I, I don't know. Were you working that game at Kingston? Yeah, I was. Yeah, and he he was bossing his forwards about. He really took charge of that game from an Exeter perspective. Even though they got beat, he was very commanding in that role. But I haven't seen enough of him to put him any higher. Um, well, I've got him. I've got him above those guys because he plays for Exeter, so he's going to be well drilled. He's going to, you know, yeah. They're not going to put him in that side unless he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, my my thirteenth was Yoan Lloyd. Yeah, I've got him at twelve, so he's not far away. Right, so I've got Billy Vula, uh, Maka, Manu Manu at twelve, just he's... because he'll be playing a lot. Yeah, but I think you, like these three players are all in sort of could be. This is this is the kind of thing you're looking at. So I've got Yoan Lloyd at thirteen, yeah. and Johnny McPhillips at, at fourteen. Okay, so you've gone with you've gone with McPhillips because I. Zach Henry uh, in it, number 19. Well, I've got him at 25 because he's shit. He is shit. He's but, really I just, shit. but I also then had below him the likes of um, Heron and Atkins and, uh, well, just above him is 17. I had Billy Searle, but that was... Yeah, he's... So, my three worst... Well, my four worst tens in the Premiership are... Heron, Searle, Henry Dupree. They're all is that, is that because you've not seen much of Atkins from London Iris? We'll just guess about him. Well, um, if he's worse than Heron, Searle, Henry and Dupree, he probably shouldn't be playing Premiership Rugby. <laughs> Where have you got Orlando Bailey then? He's played a fair amount. Uh, of not ranked because um, uh, I only did two per squad. Like, oh, okay. If I was so, going to put him in, he'd be around that sort of Barton Skinner Atkinson yeah. area. I, like, I think what you've got to look at really is the clubs that haven't got anyone above the 13, yeah. 13 line, and you're looking at Sale. Uh, sorry, uh, you're looking at um, Worcester, New, Worcester, Newcastle, Gloucester, Gloucester. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then also, you've got to bear in mind, like I said before, Leicester and Saracens, and 
Saints, although Grace, or I've got Grayson at 13, you've got to look at those three and, and maybe Bristol, as if Sheedy's going to be away a bit. Um, they Those players, Farrell's not going to be around a lot, neither is George Ford. So that leaves Johnny McPhillips, Carl Henry. I think Freddie Burns is back at Leicester next season. Carl Henry. Zach Did Henry. I say Carl Henry? Carl Henry used to play for Wolves, didn't he? He's a <laughs> combative, combative centre midfielder. Um, Zach Henry, uh, I don't know what his plans are next season, and Johnny McPhillips. But if you've if they've got Freddie Burns back, that that makes a lot of difference to Leicester, I think, next season. Well, I don't think he goes. I don't think he's any better than McPhillips, right? Or is McPhillips just on loan? Uh, I can't answer that. But I'm going to have a look. But Farrell and Vunapola, you know, look, so when Vunapola would have learned a fair amount in the championship, hopefully he spent a lot of time with Owen Farrell. But if Saracens are going to be competitive next year, and I'm talking top four competitive, when they haven't got Itoji, Farrell, Daly, George, the Vunapolas, the list goes on. They need so they need players that are gonna that are gonna make a difference, and I don't I mean, know whether well, managing they, opponent... they lost their opening game without all of those players, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Championship, so yeah, they are gonna need. I think they could probably do an upgrade because what I've seen of Manu Vinopoda is not that great, really. Gloucester, uh, the, Gloucester, are the other team, Lloyd Evans and and George Barton. I know they've played George Barton a fair amount. And Billy Twelve is essentially a haircut in a rugby shirt. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see what what the biggie is. What this says to me when you go through these players is that foreign tens don't want to play in England. Well, if you like, look at the likes of Sokoaga. Like, how when was the last time we had a foreign? Superstar marquee signing ten come into the come into the Premiership. Either like you don't see any French because they get paid an absolute dickload of money in France. Then any Southern Hemisphere. I mean, um, oh god, Curtly Beal. Beal, yeah, played but he played a lot a of bit. fullback. Didn't really played a lot of fullback, but didn't really. I mean, he was good at fullback for Wasps, wasn't he? But he didn't like play a lot of ten. Sopawanga, I've just mentioned. They all Did tend it. to go to France. I, I think that's. I don't think that's entirely about money because I think the money is in the Premiership, yeah. As well, I think there's there's comp- comparatively similar. I think there's less clubs that are throwing it around, which is, you know, if Saints had their time again, and they realised how much money it was going to cost to keep Reinach against losing him, I'm pretty sure they'd spend that money now knowing what they know. Yeah. Um, look at the money, you know, Rendranda isn't, you know, he got lured away from France. So the money's in the premiership. Um, I just don't think, I, I don't know whether it's something about a lack of ambition with the premiership clubs as to why they're not going after these. Like why are, why are the Kiwi tens? If, if Bowden Barrett's available, and he's going to go and play in Japan. Why are Premiership clubs not throwing the checkbook at Bowden Barrett? Now, is that because Bowden Barrett doesn't want to come and play in England because of a perceived sort of bias against 
how English teams are playing? Do, do they not think that they're going to their game's going to fit? Um, look at the tens that have that have left New Zealand. Look at the tens that have left South Africa. They're not coming to England. No, they're not. I, like Pollard. I mean, look back at all the. If you look back at the South African tens for the last six or seven years, go back to like Mornay Stain, um, Hondred Pollard. Um, even the likes of who was the Franz Stein? I know he was he was kind of a 10, 12, 15, wasn't he? Uh, but they the don't guy wanna... that went to Ulster. Who's the Ulster guy? Oh. Played nine and ten. Oh god, Ruan Pina. Yeah. Um, but then look a... at the look at the ten. You know, in the European Cup final, you had a nine ten axis at for uh, La Rochelle with. Um, uh, Ehire West and who who was their ten? I can't remember. Anyway, they seem to they don't seem to come to England now. I don't know if that's because it's viewed as a you know forward dominated league, but it, there there are players out there. You look at Joel Pleason was uh, uh, not Pleason. Who who was the guy that um, Courtney Laws folded up at Twickenham oh, that massive it, hit? Pleason. It was, but he's a 10, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He was on the bench for to, for La Rochelle. Mm-hmm. Surely he'd be better served playing in England. It does make you wonder, doesn't it? Especially when you break it down. Look is there a lack just... of is there a lack of ambition from English clubs to get these players, is what I'm saying? Because you look at some of the 10s here and there's a lot of dross, isn't there? I mean, there's probably... Well... Who who are the who are the tens that would get into sides outside of England? Jackson, Ford, Farrell, uh, Smith, Smith, Bigger, Farrell, Ford. That's it. Yeah, you could you could make a case of Simmons, but Simmons is Exeter's ten, isn't he? He's Simmons, Sim, Simmons isn't getting in a French team. No. If, I could see if all those players hit the open market and the premiership was over overnight. I think you've got five players there that would have a guaranteed job. You McGinty think... would probably get a Pro 14 gig, but he's not playing in France. No. I think Simmons would be a really good fit for Leinster. Very jo- almost Johnny Sexton like ten. Yeah, yeah. I've never, I've not really thought about that comparison before because I, I compared him to like a hybrid Ford Farrell runs a bit more but game manages a bit less mavericky. And I think that's probably Sexton, you know, with the, yeah. the, the Sexton wraparound type, type of affair. And that's very system-based, isn't it? Just a state-funded yeah. state, state funded system. Yeah. Um, well, it shows you as well is a lot of teams are happy to have a homegrown backup 10 because they're cheap. Yeah. Um, and, how many, and how many of those, interestingly, right? So going back to your point about players and salary cap and all that sort of stuff, how many of those players are starting tens of marquee players within the Premiership? None. Uh, bigger. Oh, bigger. Okay. Um, I mean, we. You know what? Farrell. Bigger's probably the only one, right? Yeah. Because Ford can't be a marquee player because they bought him from Bath. The didn't Cad- they? Okay. Uh, yes. Didn't he start at Leicester? Then went to Bath and then went yeah. to Leicester. So does that count as academy credits? 
I don't know. Um, and, and also in England international credit. Would Paddy Jackson be on that? No, probably not. Probably wouldn't be on marquee money because who would their mark? Uh, I, I mean, we're not going down a marquee player. No. Again, we, we know what people think of that discussion. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, uh, but that's the point, isn't it? Like, yeah, the, you think your, your best like player. Position that's valued, but the teams that win have the best tens. It's, yeah. There's, there's a disconnect between what teams seem to value in terms of spending money and what actually makes teams win. And as with the NFL, if you don't have a decent 10, you're not winning. Yeah. But also, like, you could you could comparison and say, well, if you spend money on your O-line vis-a-vis your back row and you see a lot of marquee players in the back row, then you can't protect your 10. Or if you don't get the ball going forward, you can't protect your 10 to then give yourself front football look, to then allow the 10 to, get, to move forward. If George Ford plays 22 games for Leicester, they qualify for the Champions Cup, right? They, they qualify for the playoffs. More than likely. But they've, they've played 15 games with Zach Henry at 10, and it's yeah. proven that they are a, a demonstrably worse team without George Ford. And you could say that had they had a better 10, had McPhillips been fit or whatever, they may have had a few more points. So and maybe they'd replace Harlequins. And that's and that's where you could that's when you could legitimately say if someone was to go out and take Marcus Smith's cruciate ligament, Quinns would be nowhere near the top four. Yeah. Yeah, clear. yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't think that's in doubt really, but um, because yeah, the next I, cab off the rank that, is Brett Heron. There, there, there are teams that, if you're Gloucester, rather than going out and getting a marquee winger, in like as they did with, I mean, they weren't to know that Cipriani was going to bail on them, but surely you'd you'd go and break the bank and get some Kiwi or some, you know, someone that can do you a job. That's you know, so you don't have to rely on fucking Billy Twelve Trees kicking your penalties at the death to win games. Yeah, hundred percent. But then you think with with the potential ring fencing and all that sort of stuff, is that going to change the way that these teams approach their recruitment? Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? That's a that's a conversation for another day. Um, but that that was a really interesting exercise. I reckon it would be good to do to do that for nines next, I reckon. Maybe yeah. next week we'll look at maybe do it. And for if anyone device. can be bothered, why don't you get on your little Twitter machines and, and type out your little, uh, so, so is this, is this now the McPhillips line <laughs> for, for rugby? If you've got, if you've got a better 10 than Johnny McPhillips, you're set, or do we go with the top 12? I, I would say if you've got a better 12, if you've got a better 10 than James Grayson, or, or Brett Connan. Well, Brett Conan because he's a, an actual starter, right? Yeah. Not the husk of Toby Flood, which turned yeah. up at Sandy so Park. We're something. going with the Conan line. The Conan line. If you have a if you have a, a ten that you can say but but mate, I think there's probably fifteen tens that are better than Brett Conan. Potentially. 
I don't think they actually are yet. See, see, we've done this. We've done this list based on how value to their premiership, value to the team. We should have done it on actual ability, shouldn't we? We we probably should have done. In which case, it would have changed. Yeah, and do it just with the twelve starting tens. Yes, I think that that's the best way to go. We're going to do this next week, but we're going to do the twelve starting nines. Okay, I think in that case. Is probably the Umanga line. The Jacob Umanga line. Like it. I'm all right yeah. with that. The okay. Jacob Umanga line. If you've got a 10 that's, if your starting 10 is better than Jacob Umanga, you are fixed. If your starting 10 is worse than Jacob Umanga, you haven't got a starting 10. There you go. Good. And, and we move. Um, had some fairly exciting news about the Mallover Invitational this week. Really? Um, we have got a uh, potential sponsor. What, uh, the Wax Bar um, at the Ro- Nukiwonis Rugby Club have agreed to let us have the facilities for free and give a p- portion of bar take-ins to uh, Rugby Against Cancer. So I'm going to set Lovely. up. Um, I'm going to set up a meeting with them, and we're going to sit down and we can rent the pitch for free, and then hopefully get on there and uh, and have a game. So if there are anybody out there that maybe want to think about setting uh, sponsoring us a set of shirts what we'll do is we'll um we'll look to to get a kit together for the 9th of october and maybe auction off the shirts at the end or raffle off the shirts at the end for proceeds to rugby against cancer um and you know maybe look to do another one in the future and get some more shirts who knows but that's where we are at the moment so we're still on the 9th of october if you are planning on coming if you want to come if you want to play can you please email me or us at uh, mallovepodcast, all one word, at outlook.com and just state that you'll be coming and what position you play slash would like to play. So we've got an idea of numbers and positions and we can try and build a, a bit of a game around that. But uh, all positive, all systems go. Perry done a great job in uh, in setting up a little meeting and uh, Wax are more than happy to, to get involved and um yeah and hopefully we can raise a little bit of money for for rugby against cancer at the same time um but also well done to those rugby against cancer guys who did the final trek at the weekend uh they raised an awful awful lot of money going from uh somewhere in london down to portsmouth rugby club um they trekked pretty much for 24 hour probably longer than that for 40 hours or whatever it was getting down to portsmouth rugby club so well done to those guys and I know they've got a lot of support from uh, seen Instagram videos from the Exeter boys and Luke Pierce and lots of other people wishing them well. So well done to all those guys and uh, great effort. And hopefully we'll see the next fundraising event soon. Um, but other than that, should we uh, should we get into any other business? You got anything else you want to talk about, Doug, this evening? You go first, mate. Oh, why are you a dick? Because I was going to think about any other business. That's exactly what I was going to do, which probably suggests I haven't got any. Yeah, well, me too. In that case, I haven't got any either. Um, So let's let's end it there. I mean, hopefully, I don't know for certain whether Phil will send through his little monologue or not in time for me to get this out tomorrow. So if he does, you can now enjoy uh, a Phil Farm vet monologue in the style of Eddie Stevens 
probably not as sweary, probably not as ranty. Um, talking about Eddie, actually, Eddie got a really nice shout. I'm going to shout Eddie out as well. Um, a bit less highbrow than his shout out. Yeah, but Ross, anyone that listens to this is almost certainly already have listened to that. Yeah, absolutely. But how nice was it? Like, I, yeah. I just thought it was yeah, a really real nice touch from, yeah. from Tim. Completely unprompted, completely, like, out of the blue. And to, to appreciate something that he didn't have to, he didn't have to say anything, didn't have to, like, you know, and, and he, it just shows to me the level that, that those guys operate at without wanting to, meaning to suck them dry. Um, they are great blokes and they are really helpful and they're really generous with their time. And, you know, they're, they're, they're really nice, genuine people. Um, which is more you can say for just, some just of the rugby a, Twitter community. On a personal note, Eddie's Eddie's a funny fucking guy. He is a funny guy. Like, <laughs> there were several times during his last pod where I openly guffawed in my car. So, and it takes a lot to get me guffawing. Uh, absolutely, unless you're telling me to fuck off or um, the likes on a football pitch. But there you go. Um, we'll leave it there. It's been an absolute pleasure, Lensman. Thanks for your company. A little Cheers, two mate. ball, little two ball this evening to keep keep yep. the wheels turning. Um, and we'll be back next week in some way, shape, or form to do some other recording for your audio pleasure. So uh, go well. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.